Hey, I'm Charlene Kay. I make music under the name Kay, and you are listening to Golden Hour, a show about Asian musicianship, creativity, and intersectional solidarity. We are in episode five. I can't believe it. It's been incredible to see this world expanding, and I've absolutely loved having these conversations and creating this community. Speaking of community, Dave and I would love to hear what y'all think of these episodes. After the Darren Chris episode aired, I was getting all these amazing DMs of y'all being like, I'm not Asian, but I related to this so hard as someone reclaiming my heritage as a half Jewish person, or I'm so glad someone's having these conversations because I've always felt displaced being first generation. And it's so cool to see how it's resonating beyond just the Asian community. So if you've got thoughts and feelings, Send us a message at goldenhourwithk at gmail.com or send us a voice message at the link in our Spotify and we'll play our favorites on a future episode. You can let us know who you want us to talk to, what these conversations have meant to you, anything you want. In any case, thank you so much again for coming back. We're so grateful that you took the time to listen. It feels like we're really building something. Okay, my guest today is an artist who goes by the name of Emia, aka Anne Lay. Our last episode featured Mike Park, who is a veteran of the music industry and kind of represents this old guard. So we wanted to bring in someone who represents the new. Anne is 24. She's a Vietnamese American singer, songwriter, and producer based in New York. Even though Anne is Gen Z and I'm a millennial, her music reminds me of the music that I grew up listening to when I was a teenager, which makes sense considering we found out that we were both obsessed with the same Avril Lavigne album and actually have so many similar musical influences despite this 10-year age difference. We really dig into this idea of how female singer-songwriters get pigeonholed, especially if they are Asian. And we touch on this time in her life where she was making instrumental Cardi B and Doja Cat tracks for karaoke bars for a living and got really good at it. Stay tuned after our conversation for a special live performance from Anne. Here's a clip from her single, Bet You Left It Out, which she put out earlier this year. And how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so, I just want to say that I am a fan of yours first. And I discovered you through Dave, who's sitting right here. And I'm going to mention Dave a lot because he's our producer of this, of this show, but he's just as much of Golden Hour as I am. And I discovered you off of a Spotify playlist that Dave had. And Dave, is, Dave has really got his finger on the pulse as far as this next generation of Asian American artists go. And I, I listened to your song, I think it might've been teleprompter. And I was just like, this is, this is so cool. Like, what is this? And it reminded me of the music that I grew up with and the music that I wrote when I was younger too, but also the stuff that I love right now, that's super fresh and current. And I'm, I'm just so excited to meet you. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. There's so many lyrics of yours that stick out to me. I love taking out the trash because what you did was trashy. <laughs> LOL. It's so good. And the videos that you make yourself, you just seem like such a multi-hyphenate artist. You are a visual artist as well as a musician. There's so many things that I, I want to talk about with you, but maybe we can start with what your upbringing was like, how you first came to music and what your first experiences of music were. Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh, such nice things. Thank you. Um, I 
Well, I, I started in music, I feel like the same way so many kids do. My parents were like, you got to play piano. My mom says there's like lore that um, when I was like at families like houses when I was really young, I just like bang on the piano. And so she was like, we got to like make some sense out of this. Like we can't have this. Like you need to be able to like actually play it if you're going to do that. So um, <laughs> she's like, well, that, this sounds bad. Let's just like get some technique in there. Maybe yeah. she can play us fair least one day. <laughs> she's like, we can work with this yeah. <laughs> for sure. And um, I just I got super lucky. I had a awesome teacher. Um, I feel like a lot of kids get teachers that, you know, just kind of like pick songs and force them to play things that they don't want to play. But my teacher at the end of every lesson would always like pretty much like audition songs for me Mm -hmm. to pick. So like, you know, even if it was a classical song or a jazz song, like I had to be like, that's the one that I want to play. And was very much aware that I loved pop music and included that in my lessons. Mm -hmm. And so from like age like five onwards, like that just became like a staple in my life. And um, I just also like always like sang in like choirs and stuff. Like I, you know, alto too, like just like hanging out and singing my part and everything, just a huge part of my life. And um, didn't like do a lot of, couldn't like hang out with friends or anything. So it was like mm-hmm. my like one chance to like be social as a kid. So I think that was just the start of like really, really loving music. And then the concept of like writing music, I think came towards the end of high school when like at that point, YouTube really like, especially YouTube musicians, that became huge. Like I feel like every other artist that I really looked up to that I felt, oh, my quote unquote career could be very similar to this came during that era that like 2008 to 2013, 14 um, time. So I think by just like watching a bunch of like YouTube videos, I was like, oh, like, you know, I, I like to sing in choir. I like to play piano. But like these people, they're like making songs and they're making music videos and it just became super popular. Yeah, it sort of democratized Anyone who had a piano or an instrument could suddenly be online and get an audience. Yeah. What were some of the earliest pop songs that you learned? Ooh. um, I think, like, Rihanna. Like, (laughs) I think Umbrella was definitely one of Mm -hmm. them. And My Happy Ending, Avril Lavigne. Ah, yes. (laughs) That was my first... One of the first CDs I ever bought for myself was Let Go by Avril Lavigne. Me too. Oh I remember gosh. being in, oh, I think it's out of, it like went out of business. FYE, I think. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I remember that was the first album that I bought too. And <laughs> definitely, yeah. Just some sort of Avril yeah. Lavigne song, 100%. Oh my God. Yeah. I still, I can, I still listen to that music what to remind myself of what it was like when I was first falling in love with music. And I think that's probably a big reason that I resonate with your music so much because I see this like boundless spirit and this like optimism that you have. (laughs) And there's a, there's like a sense of our influences overlapping when I listen to your music. And I have written down in my notes, she's so wise beyond her years. (laughs) Wish I were more like her when I was young. I do, I do sense a very strong sense of maturity. And there's just like this knowing in your lyrics that 
I definitely did not come to until I was much older. And so I definitely feel a kinship with you as a, as a young songwriter. And I, I only say young because I'm 10 years older than you. And I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to talk about um, I'm not going to bring age into this too much because I still feel like we're all kindred spirits. Yes. But it is interesting to observe the ways in which our generation relates to this younger generation. Mm. And um, the fact that we both love the same Avril Lavigne album is something that I would not have expected. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. I um, I also teach lessons too. Mm-hmm. And I'm discovering like a lot of young kids liking the same things. And like, it's like coming back and like it's what? like, um, I had a, it wasn't Avril Lavigne, but I, I had like a couple of students bring up like super like old Taylor Swift songs mm-hmm. and like old Miley Cyrus songs, like from their first albums mm-hmm. or like old Demi Lovato stuff. And I'm like this, I also was yeah. like learning this as yeah. a cover too. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like you weren't born yet. And you love like this particular album. And I, and I think there's just something like, I think you're right. Like with every new generation, like it's not like they experience I mean, they live in a different world, but they experience very similar like struggles and challenges. Yes. And yes. like, you know, we're always like people always feel like left out or like, you know, sad because their crush doesn't like them back. And like they have to like find a, like a sound that really resonates with them. And I think for some reason that those few songs that you and I and now they love, they just, it just, <laughs> it just does the trick. So it's, it's like yeah. magic. <laughs> it really is. And I feel like right now we're coming around where earnestness and sincerity and storytelling and like big feelings are cool, <laughs> are cool again. Yeah. We're, we're sad again and that's okay. There's a lot going on yeah. right now to be sad about. But I see that especially with these very literary storytelling based singer songwriters like Lord and Phoebe Bridgers and yeah. um, Lizzie McAlpine and and yourself. I definitely see you as like in this lineage of like very literate young writers that are, I, I feel so optimistic about. Do you see yourself in that, t- in the culture that way? And is that something that you think about? Yeah. Yeah. I think I do. I, I definitely feel like definitely my, my taste and you know, what, production or sounds I gravitate towards shifts and change all the time and with new styles and just like I don't know every like 15 year old being like incredible at like electronic production I just there's just so much but the thing that like I I think now I realize that just can withstand the test of time is like what are you saying like at the end of the day it's it's still lyrics it's still melody and like I I think no matter what I do I feel like that will always be the most important part of music making that I like I always want to like be good at or always want to understand more and yeah for all the lords and Phoebe Bridgers out there like I just think like that's that's where it's at. Like I it's it's what like doesn't I think I I remember I had like a teacher who was like, you know, the music that people feel like, oh, this was just like written yesterday. Like it all comes down to like the storytelling, the songwriting and um, like having like an organic element, whatever that means. And he's like, you know, sometimes like 
you know, just having a piano or guitar, even if everything else is super synthetic, grounds that piece of music so that it can come back years to come. And that's always like really stuck with me. Man, that's that resonates so that resonates so much. I started out as an acoustic singer songwriter. Oh. And I my first album was all acoustic instruments and strings and horns and stuff like that. And it partly might have been influenced by my moving to New York after that. But I really did a 180 where I was like, I don't want to be that type of like acoustic singer songwriter. Like I wanted to, I really didn't want to be like a Jason Mrazy, uh, Kobe yeah. Clay thing. Totally. And I have a lot of complicated thoughts about that now because on one hand, like I didn't want to, I wanted to be more interesting and I wanted more like synthesizers and things like that. But I also feel like maybe I was running away from an aspect of femininity that I wasn't totally comfortable with mm. that I now I'm really into. Yeah. And I really, into, I right now I feel like I notice lyrics and songwriting more than any of the production elements, which is what you were just talking about. And yeah, yeah I, I feel like maybe it was some element of not wanting to be perceived as like weak or soft or something <laughs> when in fact all of that can exist at the same time and it doesn't need to be one or the other. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When you say that, like that's, that's definitely something I, I too had to unpack as well. I think very similarly, I, I went to school at the university of Miami and I, I studied music. Um, and, but I, I always felt like, because when I first came into school, like they, it was such a weird process. They like rounded every freshman into this like concert hall and they made everyone play like one song in front of everyone on day one. Terrifying. And it was horrible. <laughs> and I just remember like, I, you know, I like sang a song and I played piano. Did you and, play an original song? Yeah, yeah. Um, even more terrifying. <laughs> even more terrifying. And I think from that point on, I just, I felt like whether it was my own perception or not, like I felt like everyone just expected me to basically try to be Sarah Bareilles. And like, I just felt like this pressure of like, oh yeah, like she does this. And like, that's what she's the best at. Like why bother doing anything else? Even though I genuinely was like, always secretly like very interested. I was like, oh my God, like those like dudes with their like snapbacks and their laptops, like what are they doing over there? Like, right, what are, right. like beat making, what is that? Right. And I, I was so curious, I want to be a part of it, but it just didn't feel like I could. And I definitely, I think since graduating, same thing where I felt like, no, like just had an aversion to like releasing music where piano was too prominent because I felt like I would be right back to where, to the place where I was trying so hard to get away from. And yeah, because it's so, we can't help but be pigeonholed yeah. as like, oh, she's a Vanessa Carlton. Oh, she's a Sarah Bareilles. Like it's there's easy. Only, there are only, there's only so many archetypes for female piano players who also happen to be songwriters and I, I hate that. Yeah. And so I understand. Right. I really understand. It's and it's just and I think like probably I had that reaction because like my whole life it always just felt like I'm just always trying to be like two or three steps like ahead of what people assume of me and like telling myself that I wasn't letting that run my life. But now I'm just like whenever I like write music or I'm like in a session with someone, like what I feel like it's like a strength. It's like I I like am appreciative of being able to write and play. Yeah. And like now I'm like, no, this is like what 
like I I feel comfortable and at home at it and I I don't know why I spent so long just thinking that I had to not do that in order to be taken seriously or something. Yeah. And I think as women and as Asian women, we have to, we, we feel like we have to prove ourselves so much more because we're already in the minority and there are already so few people that we can reference that naturally we get lumped in with the other piano playing singer songwriters. Yeah. And I, th- I think about those phases that I had and in a way I'm grateful that I had to go through Go like boomeranging to the other opposite end of the spectrum so that I could kind of come back and realize what I loved about writing music in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear about your production process. How do you approach a track when you're starting something on your own? Does it start with piano or do you start with a beat or like what software do you use and all that good stuff? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, um, excited. I I use Logic and I, I used to before, like in the little secret days, like I used to always have to finish a song, at least for anything that's for my own project. I have to finish a song, piano vocal first, Mm. track the acoustic version, and then make choices, like take the piano out and all these things. Um, But song has to come first. And now I think because I've spent so much time like top lighting and and like really getting ideas from like sound first. Mm -hmm. Now I feel a lot more comfortable making like a very basic like track so that I could sing over it. But in any case, like whether it is like I, I start with a song or I start with making a track, like it always I always have to start with some sort of like like in like feeling some sort of intent like yeah. I'm mad because of this yeah, so like I yeah, have yeah. to write this and go go off from that and then just kind of I don't know I feel like my process is so messy it's so messy it's, it, it's disorganized and it's horrendous to look at like it is not cool I'm like still very very nervous to like produce in front of people because I think the way I do it is akin to like throwing spaghetti at a wall. Like it just, it's just like, maybe this is going to work. Probably won't. <laughs> and we'll move on. And every song kind of jerks you around in a different way because it demands different things. things. So you just, I think you're as an, as an artist, as a producer, as a songwriter, you're sort of at the mercy of what the idea wants, which is the best way to approach it, I think. Because otherwise you have this preconceived notion of like oh this needs to be an r&b song or something and then you're trying to like fit into a shape that it doesn't want to be in yeah so i think it's good to be a little messy me too (laughs) me too i'm glad you think so yeah (laughs) i'm noticing that a theme in this podcast about asian american musicians there's a necessary component of what your upbringing was like and how your parents reacted when you they started to observe that you maybe wanted to do music as something more than a hobby. So I'm curious what that experience was like for you. You majored in music. I did, and So yeah. there must have been some element of support yes, there. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, it was a rough time. I think for really, I mean, my parents when, you know, would always like show up for like the choir concerts and definitely supported like the, like how much I enjoyed having music as a part of my life. Um, But when it became a lot more serious and I was like applying for schools and stuff, I think there was, that was like the most contentious like time in our Mm. relationship. 
100%. And they definitely did not want me to major in music. It just so happened that I got really, really lucky and I got a full scholarship to go to music school. Wow. And that was like, I 100% if that didn't happen, like that legitimized you in a way. Yeah. Like I, th- I would be like, I would, I don't even know what I'd be doing, but like that just changed everything. And, and the funniest part was I was never going to apply to Miami. My mom just like got some ad and I think she saw that I was like really sad. Cause I like got rejected from like another music school. And she's like, ah, you could apply to this one. Like just as like kind yeah. of this, like, you know why not you know like you're already like applying to a couple schools like I think she was trying to cheer me up and um it's all her fault so it just it just happened to snowball into like you know it's so crazy how like one place could be like like we don't want you and then another is like we want you so much that we will pay you to be here we will pay you to be here (laughs) and I was also shook too and I think it was enough to be like give me a chance to do this yeah But I do remember, and this is something that my dad will deny, but this definitely happened Um, as I was like packing to like go. We had like a very serious like conversation on like the stairs. And he basically said like, hey, if you fail, like don't even come back. Like it was and like. I remember being so upset and my mom was there too. And she brought it up because like I like graduated with honors and everything and all my professors loved me and my dad was eating it up and she'd be like, hey, remember when you were so mean to her, like when she like left and yeah. So I think now they're still like, you know, they're not particularly thrilled, but I feel like you know, our parents are growing up too. And I think they're just one, I think they're tired. They're too tired to fight Mm. back at this point. And oh, that's such a generous thing to say. Our parents are growing up too. Yeah. (laughs) I am going to remember that. Right. Like they're, they're also like maturing and, um, and I think they are seeing, I think I was also lucky that they had family friends of kids who like took, you know, the more stable route and like, just bad things happened. Like, you know, they really just like spiraled or they like became addicted to drugs. Like anything could happen. And I think they were just like, you know what? Like, and may not have health insurance. (laughs) Oh my God. Story of my life. But she seems to be doing really well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like, Mm -hmm. I think they were just like, at the end of the day, like, you know, she seems happy and Hey, at dinner parties, like, she it's kind of, impress- music, kind of impressive. Yeah. So <laughs> that is fascinating. And what what is their story? Were they immigrants? How, when did they come to the states? My mom immigrated like in the nineties. Her whole family from like the eighties to nineties. They were like part of like the whole. I was like the refugee thing. Like they they came and my dad, my my parents married, but my dad stayed in Vietnam for like a couple years mm-hmm. while my mom was here. And she came to Florida? Um, LA, actually. Okay. Yeah. So I was born in LA and when I was like two or three, my grandparents, my mom, and my dad, who was finally living in the US, like moved to Florida. How did you guys pick Florida? I I think maybe it was because I had other family living there. I also have family living in California too, but I guess we had other family. I think it was a work thing as well. 
Um, and maybe they just chose it because there was no snow to deal with. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then we lived there. And when I was like 12 or 13, my family moved to Wisconsin. So I lived in Madison, Wisconsin until I was uh, 18. And they went back to Florida for school. And then my parents live in Pennsylvania now. So when I go home to visit them, it's in Pennsylvania. Wait, why and Wisconsin? Um, my dad got a job there. Okay. Um, and also, um, my brother is autistic. And so the services, um, that were being provided for him in Florida were bad. And like, it just, they were just like, it's going to be bad for a really long time. Mm. So I think the combination of my dad getting an opportunity there and there being just like better access, um, to everything, yeah, um, yeah. education and all that for my brother. It was like, all right, I guess, I guess we're going to live in the Arctic now. Right. And, um, yeah. With, and uh, snow. <laughs> With, we went from no snow to <laughs> when is there not snow? It was so crazy. That's so interesting that you moved around so much because I also moved around a lot when I was younger huh. and I feel like I did have a, a, a degree of whiplash going from Singapore to Hong Kong to Hawaii to Arizona. Wow. And I had to reacclimate and like make new friends all the time because of my dad's job and stuff. Wow. Um, but I feel like I went from living in in some places and cities with a pretty dominant Asian population like Singapore and Hong Kong mm. to going to Arizona where I was one of like 10 Asian kids at my school. Yeah. What was that like for you? in Florida and in Wisconsin. And did you have a community there at all? No. Mm. Um, I just, I think in high school was when I had like my first like Asian friend. Um, friend every, singular. <laughs> yeah. And she was like my best friend too. It was fu really funny. Um, and I think like, I just, yeah, growing up the whole time, like I did not like, there was no Asian community. I mean, I had my family and, um, it definitely, since I was living with my grandparents, I was also speaking just Vietnamese at home too. So I definitely felt, at least for myself, very grounded like in my heritage, even though going to school or like the outside world was definitely, it was just like me as like the Asian kid. So um, honestly, I didn't really feel like I had um, a community, like not even in college. So it was moving here. Wow. Yeah. I think like, I feel like in high school, because my best friend was like, what I'm pretty sure there's like four or five Asian kids in my high school. And she was like one of them. And she was like, killer at everything. She was amazing. Mm. And like my closest friend and everything. And I think just seeing like, oh, like, she's so dope. If I ever had any like weird feelings about being an Asian girl, like it was definitely successfully challenged by the fact that the person that I admired most like in my teenage years like was an Asian girl so it was a dope Asian girl yeah. yeah so I was like but I think like I honestly feel like that was just like the product of coincidentally enough like my high school in Wisconsin was like the most diverse like experience I've had like even though like you wouldn't think that like Wisconsin, but it was like the first time I like went to school and they were like, like black students, Latino students, like 
more than one Asian student, you know? And I just, I think it was just different. I think if I stayed in the neighborhood that I like grew up in, in central Florida, like I think I would really see myself differently because Mm. that move beyond just like, ah, cold weather, like really changed my life and changed how I saw myself. Yeah. Yeah. And coming to New York, what was it like actually committing to yourself to pursue music? What were those early days like? Where did you first play? And what? how did your perspective change on from coming out of college where you were doing this for school to like mm. actually making a career out of it? Yeah, um, it was definitely very rough. Um, but I, I think like, I just remember my first show that I played in New York was that one summer before my last year of school. And like, I played this gig. There was three people there. I was like living in this apartment in Park Slope and I had to like schlep all my stuff. And I don't know, I just, I was like, this is like, you know, I I, I just had, I still loved it so much and knew that like, you know, this is like, I feel like a lot of people would hate this, but I love it. So it can only get better, mm-hmm. right? So like if the next show I play, five people come, yeah. like it's all, I'm already winning. So I, I still feel that way to a certain degree. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, so I feel like I don't feel that way about other things. Like I don't feel as comfortable in my failures because I don't love it enough to be comfortable being like, well, that was a loss. And I just know that like, you know, anything that I want to do, I want to feel like even if I like fall, like I'll still like keep going. Um, so I, I knew it then, I think playing like a very small gig that that was going to be what I, I was like, this is it for me. Yeah, for sure. So after that show, how did how did your career evolve after that? Because I you have a sizable YouTube following. <laughs> did that start after that? Or were you playing covers and stuff before you moved to New York? Oh, definitely before. Yeah. That channel was made um, when I was like 12. So that, I feel like that um, that following was developed through just a long period of time. And I think yeah. like a couple of videos like didn't necessarily go viral, but I think um, I think my peak YouTube time was like in high school, I was doing a lot of like English versions of like K-pop songs in like K-dramas that my mom and I would watch. Yes. And there weren't translations. I'm like, I don't know Korean. So I'm just going (laughs) to write lyrics based on the characters of these shows. And um, those videos popped up. And what I was really proud of, and I guess this is part of my story too, was not that those videos popped off, but so many people asked me to use the lyrics that I wrote for their own covers. And those covers went viral. Wow. Yeah. So I like talk I de- about being a behind the scenes songwriter for that very type of internet thing that inspired you <laughs> yeah. to begin with. It's um, a really cool full circle moment kind of. Yeah. Now, yeah, I haven't thought about that in a really long time, but I but I was so proud that like they felt so strongly about like these fake lyrics. <laughs> like and this like so, this like obscure song and some like wishy-washy romance. It's like if you're not really trying and you genuinely have an interest in something, <laughs> then that's when people are going to resonate with it because it wasn't forced and you were just interested in this thing that you watch with your mom and that's why I connected because it was so specific but also so universal. It's so crazy. The world is so weird. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think how I think after 
that show, um, I think like I knew that um, I like at that point, I'd already been doing so many top line things. I was like, this is something that I can do at home easily with my own equipment and I can do it fast. Mm -hmm. So my first gigs to like, just like pay rent and stuff, I was doing a lot of these like random, like just like, I just like wrote these songs. I don't know what happened to them. Just got paid, was like, don't credit me. Like it's fine. And did a ton of those songs. And I was also doing this crazy gig where I was doing session vocals for this company that was making karaoke tracks for like karaoke bars. Yes. And it was like this crazy, I don't know. It's kind of a dream. <laughs> it was and it wasn't because yeah. at first I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. But like, I guess the karaoke instrumental making business is like really cutthroat. It's like a song drops and these people are on it. So oh they like within God. 24 yeah. hours, they make the instrumental. Like you have to cut the background vocals and the guide vocals so you can deliver it. So it would be like 11 p.m. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. it's like, ah, it's the new Ariana Grande song. So do it now. And, Whoa. Um, and I would just like, my <laughs> roommates at the, like got a kick out of it because I would get picked because I didn't have like I couldn't do like the big like Camilla Cabello Sia type stuff like my range wasn't quite there so like they would just give me a bunch of like Cardi V and like <laughs> Nicki Minaj stuff. No. so if you're in some karaoke bar there's probably a song no where way. I'm the person going like it's me <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> we are going to listen. We're going to listen Losing carefully. Real carefully for you, Anne. Um, yeah. <laughs> so proud. My best work. It's out there somewhere. That is such a great, <laughs> such a great story. We're going to, we're going to lead with that for sure. <laughs> so we are in my studio right now and, and conveniently happens to be sitting right next to my piano. Would you be into playing a song for us today? I would love to. Yes. <laughs> So this is a song I haven't released yet. It's called Super Fun Party Girl, and it's inspired by my first year living in New York post-breakup. I didn't wear this outfit by accident, no. Took advice from some internet blog Cut the tags, I don't care what it costs I'm just trying to be somebody People see and they assume it all comes naturally If anybody asks, I got somewhere to be I'm adjusting the colored lights For portraits on my good Side make me pretty. I'm desperately busy framing the portrait of my life. I'm a super fun party girl. Jenny Trouble on display for a couple laughs. Cause a super fun party girl makes everybody else feel not so sad. I'm laughing so hard, my stomach aches. I don't let a drink ever go. For anybody, anybody who's watching, I guess 
Budgeting my hours on an Excel sheet to calculate all the time that it would take for me to get a little cash tangled into some plastic. I learn a lot if anyone's asking. Looks good to not look twice when I swap. Could a tear sprinkle down my face when I cry? I got a good idea of who I'd be if it were up to me. I'll plug in my new ring light and touch up my glossier. Smile, make me perfect. Say I deserve this. Clap for the portrait of my life. I'm a super fun party girl. Jenny Trammell on his play for a couple laughs. Cause a super fun party girl makes everybody else feel not so sad. I'm laughing so hard, my stomach aches. I don't let a drink ever go to waste. I'm a super fun party girl. For anybody, anybody who's watching. Ba 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 da ba da ba 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 da ba da ba 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 da ba da ba 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 da ba da. Oh, and you are so smart and compassionate and talented, and I cannot wait to see what you're going to do next. I'm definitely going to be keeping tabs on you. Thank you for being here today. I Thank really you so love much this for conversation. Having me. Ah, <laughs> yay! Thank you again, Anne, for joining us. You can find her on Instagram at Emia Music. This show was created by me, Charlene Kay, and produced and edited by Dave Yim. You can follow us on Instagram at goldenhourpod, and you can send us thoughts on any of these episodes by emailing us at goldenhourwithk at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. <laughs>